Hey, hello everybody. Welcome to the, this webinar with Higher Quotient. Today we have with us very special guest, Minwa. Um, looking, so um, Min comes with a great and very rich uh, background in human capability space. His 20 plus years of experience uh, working with giants uh, like Amazon, JP Morgan Chase, General Electric, and many more organizations. Uh, today, we'll be discussing the future of talent acquisition with him. Any questions uh, that you have on this topic, feel free to put that in the chat box and we'll try our best to pick the common ones in the last 15 minutes. Min, it, it's a great pleasure to have you today and thank you so much uh, for taking out time. Yeah, my pleasure and glad to be here. So Min, uh, while we want to deep dive into the future of talent acquisition, let's let's start with something which is much more generic and which is uh, where people ask every every HR, every people leader is trying to figure out the answer, which is future of work. And you've all discussed hybrid, office, etc. This very interesting point of view that you've put across in, in your last article that says that the mode of work influences the talent acquisition strategy. So help, help us understand what's your perspective on it. Yeah, absolutely. And Listen, CEOs and CHROs, they tend to have a philosophical opinion. Uh, and no one really knows what's the right or wrong answer. I have a hypothesis, but we don't know yet. And so what I like to do is ground this in data and then talk about how that impacts talent acquisition. The decision on a workplace model can create a positive advantage or a terrible disadvantage. Here's what the data tells us. And it's from a large scale survey across multiple countries. 80% of people want, don't want to come into the office, wants to come into office some of the time, but not all of the time, 80%. Only 20% of people want to work from home full time. If you listen to our conversation on this subject or the, 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 the broader discussion, it seems like everyone wants to work from home full time. That is just not, what's happening. Now, it's also important that 64% that said they would consider looking for a new job if required to work from home, uh, if required to work full-time from an office. So what does this all mean? A company that's a, that has a rigid in-office or a rigid at-home policy will lose access to 38% to 65% of its talent pool. That's huge. So one third to two thirds of the talent pool will no longer be available to you if your policy is overly rigid. What happens is that your time to fill increases, acceptance rate, rates decrease, uh, productive jobs go unfilled for longer. So it's okay for a CEO and CPO to say, we want 100% work from home or we want 100% work from the office but they just need to know the impact it will have on limiting the candidate pool, which increases the cost of hiring, supply and demand, right? Inc uh, changes pricing. And it will certainly cause that company to lose the top candidate for a job. So another question I'll pose to CEOs and CHROs is, are you okay if a third to two thirds of the time you can't uh, close on the best candidate you might have to close on the second or third best candidate. So that's the reality. My recommendation is to have a flexible hybrid environment, uh, but different people have different philosophical views and absolutely it affects recruiting. And recruiting leaders should be ready 
uh, of how to talk to candidates uh, and how to influence CFOs and CEOs on, well, here is the new funnel metrics based on the rigidity of our policy. It'll be great to understand from you what future of talent acquisition looks to you 2030, 2025. What, what is that big future that you're talking about? Yeah, great question. Uh, <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll get I'll get the uh, I'll get my crystal ball out. Uh, so I'm actually writing an article called Better Recruiting, and it talks about the future recruiting. Here's what I think will happen to the landscape, the landscape, and then then I'll come into the recruiting uh, function. So I think uh, 2030, 2050, we'll see a continued liberalization of society and governments. Okay. Uh, that's been ongoing since World War II. I think it continues. Uh, second, the scarcity of skills will be even larger, a, a much larger issue. Okay, so I think the secular trend is the war for talent continues. You may have recessions and dips where people get overconfident on the employer side, but the long-term trend continues to be, you know, uh, birth rates are falling, skill shortage uh, that gets worse. So I think the, the future of re recruiting, will, we will see both the deployment of ethical AI and an even more prominent role for human dignity. By 20, let, let me explain what that means. So by 2050, AI will be so prevalent and so much more capable than, uh, than what we can do today that we will, you know, Smart, you and I, if we have a conversation like this in 2050, we're gonna talk about questions like this. What's the role of humans? Right now, we're talking about what's the role of AI. 2050, what's the role of humans? Does our friend groups, Marth, include humans and non-humans? Right now, it's all humans. Uh, it's a very, very serious and practical question. And then how would I feel if my daughter's best friend is a machine or a person in the metaverse? Those are some interesting societal questions uh, that will initially cause humans to be less sec secure in our place. And thus I predict human dignity and human care will rise, not fall with AI. I think the fear of AI is misplaced. And so that's what the future of talent acquisition. And so what does that mean? We're gonna go through a phase uh, where we're gonna go more algorithmic, we're gonna go more robotic, we're gonna go more automation. And at some point, we will then do a little bit of a U-turn because of human dignity and human care, where employers will say, ooh, we, we can compete for this ever shrinking uh, pool of talent with humans and human touch points. Uh, so that's the future of recruiting. It's, it's, gonna, it's, it's gonna be a, a bifurcated path to 2050. And that's very interesting. And two things that I'm very excited about, and I'll deep dive into that. One thing, I think with the technology, we've specifically touched upon AI, which is a double-edged sword. But with technology, there's always a room to improve the efficiency of the current system. Human capital, and from the data, uh, you pick up any sector, the software penetration is at least 10%. Yes. Human capital, HR is the only sector where it stands north of 5%. And this is global data. And within that, uh, the softwares that are trying to automate the employee payroll, 
retention problems, engagement, etc. That's not a 7%. If you look outside the automation in the recruitment, that's not a 3%. What that tells us is there's huge room for improvement. But at the same time, nobody can deny the risk that comes with using technology. So somewhere, we have to be mindful that we have to embrace technology to improve the efficiency, but at the same time, mitigate the risk that comes with it. Second thing that I'm very excited that you mentioned, every wave of technology disrupting a sector, people question how would humans or what is the role of humans in that sector now that technology is there to change the world? I think, and we've all seen uh, talent war, we've all seen great resignation, somewhere in human capital, the role technology needs to play is to make sure the leaders are spending or the talent acquisition leaders are spending the time with the right people at the right part of the funnel because that is what is impactful utilization of, of the human time, so to say. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I, I would say that the question on the, 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 the role of humans right now, it's, it's about job loss. We're not really talking today about the role of humans, uh, not directly, it's more about loss of jobs. Uh, 2050 or, or thereabouts, it's gonna be the role of humans with or without a job. Uh, but I, I, I love, love your data on 5% versus 10%. I don't know what the right number is, but it's clear that the field of HR and talent acquisition is underutilizing technology. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and. I think if you compare it with very simple example today, the way recruiting has, recruiting has changed. It's no longer that you post a job, you pray yeah. that people apply and then, uh, <laughs> then you interview them. It's much yeah. more outbound. You have to reach out to candidate. You have to excite them. So in, if you compare end to end process, so it's much more like sales, but sales today has a lot of tech stack available where the job is to enable the salespeople to do their job more efficiently. And you, you take a step back and see what is the tech stack that's available for these uh, people leaders out there to improve their efficiency, to make sure that uh, they're able to do the magic they're supposed to do. So they don't have those magical tools at the moment. And that is where I think the right technologies can definitely play an important role. Absolutely, I, I totally agree with you, Smart. Uh, so I think the next, and um, now that we are discussing the role of technology, mm -hmm. one thing that I'm very, very curious to understand, what's your point of view on some of the big challenges that uh, you've faced yourself or your teams have faced in the talent acquisition? And for those challenges, or which, which one of those challenges do you think technology can help solve for? You know, um... My, my article talks about this. So let me break it down by automation and then artificial intelligence, right? Uh, as, we, as we go to what the ideal state of, you know, talent acquisition is, I, I imagine one day recruiters will be relationship managers and not transactional brokers. If I could, you know, borrow a Wall Street term, right? Relationship managers. I imagine recruiters will be able to spend time showing care for candidates even if there's not an open job. Spend time uh, just uh, building a community on LinkedIn or wherever. Uh, I imagine that's where we wanna go with recruiting role. In the meantime, we need 
automation, we, we can't spend too much money getting there because most companies just couldn't afford it. And so what's the way to, do, how, how do we do this? Yeah, we spend a little more, we invest a little more, uh, but we use automation to take care of low value task. Uh, and so what is that? You know, it's postings, uh, updates, to, you know, factual updates to, account, uh, to candidates, sharing of information to a distribution list. It's uh, maybe resume screen. It's uh, scheduling, absolutely. Uh, in some parts of the sourcing, uh, so I, I think that's a low hanging fruit in, in the technology exists to do that today. Um, where we're heading is a role for artificial intelligence. And, and what, do, what do I mean? And, and, I, and I talk about this in, in my, my article. Today, our data set for choosing who to hire, which is a very important decision, is a resume given to us by a candidate, okay? So bias, maybe misleading, maybe untrue facts, okay? Uh, and then a behavior interview. That's it. Um, we will, uh, you know, smart. If, if I'm looking at higher quotient and I'm saying, hmm, should I bring higher quotient in? I would never just look at your brochure, do a 60 minute behavior interview question and make a decision. I would never do that. So I think our, the way we hire should go more towards how we pick partners, you know, Ask for a demonstration of what the person can do. Uh, use AI to sift through different data sets, the resume, uh, a questionnaire, uh, and tend to produce a candidate briefing doc that has all of the pertinent facts uh, screened out for bias, right? And un, un irrelevant data. Uh, and then a, an ability to look for patterns that the, the human mind, especially a hiring manager that might spend 30 seconds on a resume, won't be able to pick up. Uh, I imagine in the future of recruiting, a hiring manager should never read a resume. Right now, if you look at the blogosphere, candidates complain that do people even read my resume. The answer is not really, <laughs> uh, or not consistently. Uh, my position is that one day in the not too distant future, I, I think, you know, as, as soon as five years, we would have a serious conversation about managers should not read the resume because it is a bias skewed data set. The manager should read a briefing doc that's more balanced, that has more patterns and, do, and, and concentrate the limited cognitive load and time that a hiring manager can spend on that data set. Hopefully that helps smart. Yeah, yeah. And there are too many exciting themes to pick upon. I the one that I think is most important and relevant, given what I keep hearing as a challenge from uh, the talent acquisition leaders globally, is what what is the proxy that we can really use to answer the question, can the candidate do the job or not? Historically, CVs or resumes for entry to mid-manager level. Uh, has been that proxy, but as we are now going wide, because we don't, so no company today has the op luxury of retaining a candidate for a very long period of time for their recruitment process. Every candidate is being approached left, right, center. So what that simply means is you have to have the right proxy to understand is the candidate good enough or not. So that's, I think, one shift that is happening. And the second shift, if you look at U.S., there's 70 million Americans 
they don't have four year degrees but the skilled to do the job so if every company were to just look at the cvs these are not the people who would make through so and and that could be one of the reasons that the us government has also released an executive order requesting the com- companies corporations to move to competency based hiring which is much more looking beyond the cvs so what's your take on that um so i, I think you i so i I'll, I'll, sh- i'll share with the audience this it's probably been at least 10 years since a degree has influenced a hiring decision i've made um i'm not a fan of competencies based hiring uh theoretically i get it but i haven't seen competency competency models and competency assessments be that accurate and differentiated and so the the practical use case is limited what happens is like behavior interviewing it doesn't solve it it gives us overconfidence that oh we got a little science and we're going to make a good decision right Uh, but when if you look at the well controlled studies from academia let's take behavioral interviewing right uh if if you do a unstructured interview your predictability is somewhere between 0.15 and 0.25 uh if you add structure and behavioral question you you can get up to about around 0.5 but mostly in the 0.4ish uh which is a great incremental improvement but it's still lacking uh it's a coin toss almost and so we can bring in competencies especially in 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 jobs that are are really well defined call center roles for example uh and we hire a bunch of them right in knowledge workers that the higher paying jobs it's really difficult it's not very practical and so what i try to advocate is demonstration smart if i'm hiring you to be a data scientist i want to put in front of you a one page uh one page riddle uh and in a couple binders of data sets and i want to understand how you think through it you don't need to solve the answer but i want to understand how you think through it that is far superior than a behavioral interview or a competency based interview because that interview is a social interaction that is skewed by everything from uh english as a first language or accents or charisma that's not necessarily relevant for a data scientist job so i advocate for actual demonstration uh which has the highest ability hopefully that helps yeah yeah and that's what we're seeing adding maximum value to our clients as well we we get a fence view working with blue chips like bcg etc and they actually heading towards cv blind interviews and trying to assess people based on job simulation and the other aspect uh, in in how it is benefiting them it's also giving candidates more visibility and giving them more transparency to say that yes. what they can expect on the job and which then circles back with your candidate experience every every recruiter today is trying to solve for candidate experience but it is as fundamental and i've heard a lot of candidates asking hey look i understand the jd is a marketing material it it could be that you put some fancy title it could be that you put some fancy task and responsibility to attract good candidates yeah. but is that what i'm going to do on the job That's if right. you give them an experience of the job simulation what they're supposed to do 
that is where you could also control the attrition part which is a big problem in itself and also enhance the candidate experience through transparency yeah absolutely absolutely you know there's there's a lot of opportunities for us in talent acquisition it's 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 a very exciting space one that i think is underinvested uh but i think the company the company that wakes up and sees this will win in the marketplace 100% uh, and we have some great questions coming in david so of sophie uh, i request everybody to keep sharing their questions in the next 10 15 minutes we will consolidate and pick up the common themes um sophie your question is very relevant and this is actually i think that it's a next uh, good next step um so the question is the biggest challenge hr is faced with is the rigid role descriptions or job descriptions what do you advise to ensure you attract and recruit the best talent and what's your view on psychometric and leadership assessments okay i think there's three questions there so first one is uh, on job descriptions uh Personally, uh, you know, when I've taken a job, I don't read the job description. Uh, it has it has so little value to me as a candidate. Uh, I, I remember uh, it, there was a wonderful recruiter I worked with uh, last year uh, that was hiring for my team, and I said, "Won't you do the job descriptions? I don't care about it." And it offended her. <laughs> I didn't mean to offend her. Um, the problem with job descriptions today is that it it it's a mix of a communication of what we want a wish list of the perfect person and then a legal document right and which makes it a uh, it it sinks to the lowest common denominator um you know there's still it, it still can be useful companies that use that need that make their job descriptions creative and fun and then describe the culture the team and the person that would love it and the person that maybe wouldn't love it those are the best descriptions but i'd say that's about 10% of the job description pool today by and large most of them are a legal document that lists way too many things um so so that's how i feel about job description so as a recruiting leader i'd encourage you to uh talk to your hr leader and then your hiring managers to say hey can we run an ab test You know, we're hiring for 20 call center reps. I'm going to make it up. Can we post 10 of the postings in a creative format, 10 in this, you know, what we've been doing, and then let the data speak for itself. That's what I would recommend to uh TA leaders on the call. Uh so there were three things the the other one was psychometric. I am a I'm a fan of psychometric assessments to uh to be a part of that candidate briefing or that data set to be one data point in that briefing. uh i i'm going to have uh i'm getting in a little bit of trouble here um as you if you're in a, if you're an executive in talent acquisition and you're thinking about incorporating psychometric here's a couple here's a few things i would suggest as a far, as far as the framework right you want to you want to pick a the deepest and, and a deep and broad data set so a new company with a new model probably doesn't fit unless there's a uh very specific uh innovation they have in in that psychometric uh but typically it takes decades to truly validate and say hey what's going on and what's predictive or not uh number 2 uh you want to pick a psychometric assessment that was designed for its purpose which is the workplace 
uh, I won't name names, but I would, I would guess about 70% of the psychometrics that recruiting organizations use was designed in the first half of the 20th century. And it, the purpose was abnormal psychology. Uh, it was used in hospitals. And that's the foundation of how you hire people. There's a disconnect there. Uh, there are some that, you know, I, I won't get into naming names in this call, uh, that have developed workplace-specific psychometrics and have decades of experience. Uh, and then the third one is um, the people you work with in the psychometric company, right? Will they help you along this journey? Because it's not just spitting out a recommendation or a rating scale or a report. It's explaining to the hiring manager how to use it and when they are misinterpreting the data, which is the scary part of psychometrics. So uh, personally, I love it. Uh, unless you can do it right, don't do it. It will cause more harm than good. So unless you're serious about it and you can hire a PhD or someone that has deep experience in it, don't do it. Uh, and the other one was leadership assessment. I absolutely think so. So some of the best tech companies, you know, Amazon, Google, uh, regardless of the job, technical, HR, manager, non-manager, uh, facilities person, they overweight their assessment on leadership qualities. So absolutely. And what you're doing is you're making sure uh, it fits in with your culture when you do that. Great question. And Min, what's your take on uh, the next step after? So you've created a great marketing, let's, let's say a video uh, that excites candidate to apply sure. to. What next? Because the next question that a lot of people would have is that, hey, how do I make it a two-way communication? Because at times, if you're just asking too many questions to the candidate, you've already lost the candidate. How do we ensure that we be able to use technology where they can understand more about the brand, the, the culture, be it what the brand stands for, they're able to understand the leadership, what it stands for, and also ask us the question, do you see technology maybe automating that and playing a very important role? Yeah, great question. Um, so it, it is true, your, your, your most in-demand jobs like executives, software engineers, data scientists, they get so many calls that they're not gonna spend time filling out forms or you know, going through what is perceived as a heavy process. I would say that that's actually a small percentage of hires in the Fortune 500. It's a very important, it's a uh, overly important one, uh, but it's a small percentage. Um, here's what I, do. I, I, would, I would, I would first propose what every recruiter can do tomorrow. And then I'll describe the ideal state, which may take many years to get there, okay? The, the first, uh, as far as the tomorrow state, two things. One is recruiter, just talk to the person like a friend. That's it. Uh, don't send a form letter. Uh, the human can pick up the tone and the context. Talk to that person like a friend uh, and have that genuine conversation. When they hear, you know, what happens is that recruiters get on the phone and they click this voice and it's a corporate voice. You know, it's very professional. Like the cadence is very uh, structured. Um, but, and then they go and they have dinner with the family. It's a totally different voice. You want something closer to that family voice. Okay. And that's how you build 
you, or that's how you start to build that relationship and start to get a better uh, callback rate. The second thing I, I would say that you can do tomorrow is work with your hiring managers on what I call a demonstration, right? Hey, we're hiring for a, uh, a software engineer. Let's make sure uh, we have him look at some code and maybe write some or you know, to talk us through the code. Uh, those are things we can do tomorrow that will go a long way. The ideal state is automate low value task. Recruiters spend a third of their time farming. Right now it's about 90% hunting, meaning I've got a job, I just gotta find people that fits this box, 90%, right? Uh, the ideal state is about a third farming being out there in the community, if, if you're a technical, if, if you're a recruiter and you're recruiting for sales, be out at sales conferences and sales community, digital communities, be known and, and your farming talent. And when you need actual talent, they will know your name and they're more likely to call you back. So the ideal state automate low task, low value tasks that frees up time, a third farming, two thirds hunting. Uh, and then, you know, uh, when the legal environment is, is ready, the, let's call it the legal political environment, and your company's ready, uh, dabble in machine learning and AI that will strengthen the decision process and help you screen and pick uh, candidates. Right now, you know, if you present 10 resumes to a manager, uh, you're, you feel good when that manager picks three or four and it's, yeah, this is good. You're, it's a success. Uh, I would challenge recruiters that, again, with technology, in the future, maybe we only need to present five and we get a four hit rate. Imagine the, the work it would take out on the top of the funnel when that happens. So good, great question. And that actually leads to the question that Neha has posted on question answer group. So you talked about one metric, I guess, which is that if you have 10 CVs and the hiring manager has picked four, you, you should feel good that it's a success. If you were to say that for the future, uh, if there are top three metrics that the talent acquisition should consider as a success for the quality of hire, what those metrics look like? Uh, for recruiting a quality of hire, those would be separate metrics. Which one did you want me to answer? Quality hire. Quality of hire. Um, so I've been at companies then we, we, we did papers and analysis on this. So the data set I, I would look at quality hire, I would first start with manager opinion, satisfaction. Then the actual employee satisfaction, because it's a two-way street. And then, and, and this is an easy one, the data is there, just no one's tapping into it, performance metrics. Already, you know, most jobs have either a rating or a scorecard or how are they doing? And so you have two qualitative, that's very important because this is a human business. And then you have a quantitative, which is the scorecard. And that's your quality of hire. It's actually not that hard. Yep. And before we take the next question, uh, two tough questions, rapid fire coming your way. First, when you, when you hire, <laughs> so uh, when you hire, do you hire for today or do you hire for future? Oh yeah, great question. Um, 
it depends. Uh, it's popular. It's the political correct answer for me to say hire for the future. <laughs> it sounds good. It's very <laughs> buzzwording, right? Uh, but if you hire for the future and it's not the, it's the wrong person today, that's a problem. Okay. So uh, ideally, you hire for both. If you can only choose, the top priority goes today, but you want to make sure it, that person lasts more than two years. And so the, the answer is both. Uh, water gun to my head, the top priority is today. Uh, I can't hire someone that would be great three years from now, but it's terrible today. Um, very few companies can do that. No, that's a fair take. Second question, resume or job simulation? Sorry, resume or job? Job simulation. What, what you were saying that, hey, I, I better give them a feel of what they're supposed to do and see uh, how did they do that. Oh, uh, it's it, it's 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 a and it's it's both because you need the you need so you need the resume to whittle down to the number of people you put in job simulation, and then the job simulation should probably have a heavy weight if and, and this is a small percentage of jobs, right? If it is super predictive of job performance and that actual task is the majority of the job, which is not very common. And so I think there's an overconfidence on job simulation. And I, I apologize to all my entrepreneurial friends who are creating job simulations. <laughs> I think it's super useful. I think that candid briefing, demonstration, or job simulation is the same thing. Uh, you know, resume facts, uh, maybe psychometrics. So it's important, but it's one data point. You, you, you should not hire just on job simulation. It's an overconfidence of what that tool can predict. Great, uh, let me take the next question. Uh, so uh, David, uh, one of the attendees, he's asking, uh, to what extent does AI scrap online sources of information about candidates as part of building a candidate model? I'm sorry, can you say that again? To what extent does mm -hmm. AI scrap online sources of information about candidates as part of building a candidate model? Oh, to, scraping data from like LinkedIn or other social media. Uh, in all of the companies I've been, I've been in, we have not done any of that. Uh, there is a, it's a, it's an important ethical question that I'm not comfortable with. So I would not do that. Uh, there are companies out there that, are offering as a product doing that for others. Uh, at this moment, and, I'm, uh, and I might change as our ethical AI matures, and that's super important, ethical AI. Uh, I may shift my opinion a little bit, but right now the only place I'm comfortable doing that is on a security and background check. Uh, so I, I, I don't, I, 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 I'm very skeptical of scraping data from social media. You could scrape data from LinkedIn, but like your eyeballs does that. So you don't really need to hire someone to do it, right? And, and I share the same sentiment because AI, it's so early uh, for AI within recruitment that we have to be more cautious, uh, yeah. specifically because AI is always driven by data and these companies are very recent given what they're doing. So from that perspective, 
the unconscious and each one of us has unconscious bias so from that perspective ai is only as good as how we set the foundation and the data we train it on and it's too early maybe to say that the ai is fully comfortable or fully there for for open usage so we have to make sure that we are mitigating the risk but as long as i think the ai is being used for enhancing the candidate experience making it more interactive for example if uh, and a lot of companies do that there is a 5 minute chatbot uh, where you automate the faqs after the candidates have applied they come to that chatbot they're able to engage hey can you help me understand is there is there some alum from my college who has done this job so you help them understand more about the past who have people who have done well what's their profile looking like you help help them answer some of the questions they might have about the company you help them understand more about the company so that use of ai which is much more in, to improve the interactiveness and to improve the engagement i think that still is okay but the other one we have to be more mindful Yeah, listen, uh Smart, this is the first time you and I talked live on video, but we're spiritually aligned here and uh all these questions are are actually addressed in my my article my next article. I'll, I'll put it this way. AI is not ready for you to go say, "Hey Alexa, what do you think about, you know, uh Gaia 3 Govardhana? Should I hire her?" We're nowhere near that nor should we ever be, okay? However, AI is technically ready today to do things like of your top performers, here is a pattern of the experiences in in objective uh attributes that they have, eliminating uh unwanted things like race, gender, stuff like that, right? Uh, we'll just, you know, have the algorithm block that data out. Uh it can also say of these of these 1000 resumes that apply for this one data science job here are the 12 that have at least a 0.7 or higher correlation with your target profile it can do that today uh of course it needs to you need to train it on the data set of your people but the science and the technology exists today 100% and and we have another interesting question from joey uh the question says when a new hire leaves within a year how can data help us assess whether it it was a hiring mistake or poor leadership or uh was a fault in onboarding <laughs> i think there's a little uh bias in that question <laughs> uh everyone does uh go directly to poor leadership um in which which may be the truth so i would say this uh if you have the same job and especially this or its job family in preferably the same rough geographical era area and you've got 100 or more maybe you could do it with 50 you can absolutely get a data scientist to then uh correlate uh attributes uh and then give you uh help you and this is why data analytics is so important uh it will help you see things that our cognitive mind can't see because most people in most times including me i can only weigh two to three factors at once i can't do more okay uh but a machine learning uh model can weigh 300 attributes and see patterns that we can't see with our our own eyes 
and what it can also do is, I would think beyond describing the individual, because we're assuming it's the individual, I would also describe the team and the manager. And machine learning can do that uh, pretty easily. The science and technology exists today. We just have to train it on the right data set. Great, Great question. And I have one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. And and I have one question uh, on, on chat to me. Uh, so a lot of recruiters today are facing the problem of lengthier recruitment cycles. And maybe that has to do with the internal uh, bandwidth uh, of how many candidates can you really interview. Over, but And then that becomes a big challenge when you're looking at the candidate conversion because no candidate is sticking around for a 90-day long process. But at the same time, that does not mean that you cut down the interviews to two rounds or whatever. So what's the sweet spot to make sure that the recruitment cycle is short enough and you're also able to assess the right data points? Yeah, so uh, there's, there's, there's data coming out of Google that said anything more than four interviews has uh, limited uh, incremental predictability. Uh, I think that's absolutely great baseline data, but then you have to also recognize part of the hiring process is a social process. Uh, so I, I vehemently resist when, even for an executive role, when there's more than nine interviews. Uh, I like four to seven, depending on what level and how uh, big and, and broad the job is, because that social vehicle and that providing information to the candidate is super important. Uh, I think the, the cycle for a hot job should be measured in weeks, uh, not days, not months. And the measurement period I think is uh, the first formal phone screen, not the hello introduction, and then the verbal offer. That should be measured in weeks, okay? Uh, if we do talent acquisition right, we think about talent acquisition as a talent supply chain. And so the full cycle is multiple years, but the, the actual get it down hiring from first foremost phone screen to work should be weeks. Uh, we want the full cycle to be multiple years because we want to be known to the best people out in the marketplace. That's how I think about it. Hopefully that helps. Yeah, yeah. And we have another question and we've already, uh, because we've talked about it, so I'll take that first. Sure. How do you avoid background check bias and ensure that the background check is authentic? And I think the broader point here is that, look, we've also discussed uh, that there, there is some information about the past that that you need to look at. But how do you, at the same time, you've also talked about unconscious bias. So how do you strike a balance between the two? Sounds like one of our audience got caught smoking marijuana during his young days and is worried about it right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. Um, I'll, I'll talk about two things, reference checks and background checks. And by the way, Smart, you promised me hard questions. There, there haven't been any hard questions yet. Uh, so keep, keep it rolling, audience. Um, uh, there, there, I, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, let me, I'll process it more and not be judgmental. I haven't really thought about background check bias because the background checks that I've dealt with are tend to be factual. 
And so someone got arrested 20 years ago, they got arrested. It's not a bias, it's just a fact. The judgment has to come in at the readers in the company policy, how far back do you go, right? So there's a public policy element, like, do we look back 20 years? Do we look back 10 years? How far back do we go? Uh, but I don't think about it as bias. I think about it as a values judgment, okay? And, and maybe a little bit of public policy. Reference checks is where you have the bias. So I am, um, I am a proponent of reference checks, uh, live phone calls. Uh, and I am aware that most lists of references are people's friends and family and allies. And therefore the, the predictive validity is limited. But what I would say is uh, when you do reference checks, think about doing a 360. Can I talk to someone on your team? Can I talk to some peers? Can I talk to some past managers? And then the goal of the reference call isn't, oh, should we hire this person? Is this a good person or not? Uh, take, it, take the approach of, we wanna help set this person up for success and better coach this person. What are the strengths? and weaknesses. So I think reference checks, rarely less than 1% at a time uh, influences a hiring decision. I think it should 90% of the time inform the future manager how to optimize this great talent. Great question. And we haven't, yeah. and I think this, this could be a hard one. Uh, All right. So, we, <laughs> so we, we have a follow-up that says that when you're hiring for entry people, Mm -hmm. At the junior most position in your team, there's nothing to check from the past experience standpoint. Then what do you look for? There's... Uh, no, great. Uh, I, I, uh, I'll answer the literal question and then I'll answer what I think is the spirit of the question. Um, so I, literally, I disagree because uh, a college graduate hopefully will have other jobs, internships. And then if you're hiring for sales, you want to assess through simulation or, or a conversation Emotional intelligence, right? Social skills, so lots to check. Uh, and remember these college graduates are what, 23 to 25. So they're not like infants. <laughs> they've had a life and they've had a huge history. So that's the literal, my little response to the question. The, what I think is the spirited question is, man, they're still in their formative years. Uh, it, can you really predict when they're in that high growth? You know, you know, someone old like me probably won't learn too many new tricks, uh, right? Uh, and so that's a very astute observation by your audience. Uh, I would say yes. And I would say that's why the interview data and the judgment that comes after it gets dropped after that person starts. And it's what they do afterwards. That interview data should not seep in uh, much after their first year. Great question and very astute observation. Yeah, another hard one, but this, this one from my side, uh, given that you worked across different organizations, Amazon versus G, better hiring strategy. <laughs> I can't name <laughs> names. Um, I, I, let me describe the the companies that do it best and what it looks like. And, and what I don't want to do is name names here, right? Um, exactly. The companies that do it best have humility. We know we're going to get it wrong a lot. And therefore, we will use a rigorous process with multiple people 
to, arri in, uh, to arrive at the best decision we can, to get as close to 0 0.6, because we're not going to get to 1.0 predictability, right? Uh, those, are the, uh, those are the fundamental kind of patterns of the best hiring companies. Uh, like we talked earlier, those that have a demonstration or a simulation, those that have something similar to a bar raiser, uh, right? An independent party that keeps everyone's standards. Because what happens, the, 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 there are two uh, anti-patterns that happens in hiring that we absolutely, as recruiters, need to be vigilant upon. One is uh, bias in, in overly, over-reliance on intuition and bias. That's well known. What we don't talk about is um, the, the desperation of, I just need someone to do this job. I can't wait two more weeks for a new recruiter to find someone. Those are two anti-patterns we need to fight. Good questions, Mark. Yeah. And, and I think um, we've discussed unconscious bias in, in, in different themes and different settings. But we still to find the answer to say that, look, and everybody knows, look, technology and data is the only answer to taking away or reducing uh, the unconscious bias. But what does technology look like? That's something I think we need to together figure out. And that's where the industry has to work with the tech leaders and tech emerging tech companies to really develop that uh, sweet spot to say that we are able to reduce and not amplify it. Yeah, absolutely. Here's, here's how we respond to critics of AI and machine learning as far as bias. We, number one, we know how to control for bias by controlling the, the training data set, okay? Number two, we can't assume that we're in a neutral state. The, the, the conversation seems to make that logical assumption that today there's no bias, but this machine will add bias. And so we're worse off. What's really, the, the, what's really what's happening today is that we have a lot of bias. At some point, we'll reach the limit in how much bias we can squeeze out as humans. And we need help yeah. from machines. And machines will add bias regardless. If you even, no matter what training data set you have, it will add bias. But the answer is, is the net bias better with humans and machines collaborating versus humans alone? And I think that the answer is yes. Yeah, and we've come to end of the session. Uh, one last question, um, and it's there have been a lot of good insights, but if there is one advice that you were to give the 10 years previous version of yourself to be more prepared for the next 10 years, what would that be? It's a very tricky one, 10 years back. Uh, I'll, I'll be genuine with you. My top three biggest mistakes in my life has nothing to do with my career. Um, it would be probably at certain points, uh, drop, you know, uh, spend and in, invest more, be more present at home. It would be, uh, <laughs> interestingly, spend more money. Uh, in my 20s, I was very frugal. Um, and it would be, you know, live in the moment and not the goals and not where you want to be. Uh, so, uh, I, I have to think more about the career advice, but as I think about my career 10 years back, I wouldn't talk about career changes. I, I think I, uh, I did okay. Uh, 
it would all be on in my personal life. Uh, but if you, if I may, Mark, as, as we're closing this, I, I just want to send out a a message to all the recruiters and and partners on this call. The last few years, recruiting has been the unsung heroes. And and what does it, what does that mean? Um, the war for talent got hotter, except for one quarter in 2020, it got hotter and recruiters had to adjust to the great resignation, the great reshuffle, the hottest job market we've ever seen historically high and lots of question marks on, okay, where, where do people work? Uh, and then they had to deal with their own families and childcare. And so recruiters that I've worked with at Stanley Black & Decker and, and Amazon before, uh, I think are great talent, hardworking, unsung heroes. And they did a magnificent job. I think as we, as we aim for better recruiting, which is what I'm gonna write about, uh, and we look at the future of recruiting, it's not to say recruiters didn't do a great job. It's to say, we need to do better for them and the candidates. There needs to be a business model where we don't just hire a lot of recruiters during peak times and we lay them off during trough times because that's not a signal that we really care about investing in human capital. So uh, to all the recruiters out there, thank you for everything you've done. Yeah, no, I totally resonate with that thought. And I think that's that's why we started Higher Quotient. The idea was people celebrate sales leaders, people celebrate business leaders, people celebrate CEOs. But it, it's really the foundation is laid by the people leaders. Team and every experienced entrepreneur out there, business leader understands team is the biggest advantage, competitive advantage, and team is the biggest moat early on. And as, as you scale, it becomes an enabler. So, from, but when you look at who gets the credit for building the right team, in very few cases, it's actually the HRs and, and the people leaders. So I think, and I'll present you another data. And CHROs of all the CHROs, less than 10% got an opportunity to represent the company as the CEOs. This is a global data. Yeah. And you look at any other vertical, be it CMO, be it CPO, be it CRO, et cetera, mm -hmm. the, the ratio is much higher. What that tells us is somebody who's really building the foundation for a strong organization, somebody who's really translating the business fundamentals into what people need to do and also managing that day-to-day -day basis, taking all the pains, is just not being celebrated. And they don't have the toolkits. So it's not that the recruiter is unable to do the magic. They have all the magic, but like any other vertical, give them the magical sword, give, give them the tools uh, that they can use. Absolutely. So I, I totally resonate with that, with that thought process. Yeah, well, Smart, listen, uh, good time spent. I hope everyone learned a little bit and I, uh, I appreciate you uh, starting a conversation. Thank you so much. And uh, it, it was lovely chatting with you. And I uh, thank everyone, everybody who joined the call, took out the time and shared great questions with us. Uh, we'll share the recording and also the takeaways from this conversation. If you have more questions, reach out to us. We'll try our best uh, to get another sometime from Mingwa and get back to you with the answers. Thank you so much and have a great day. Thank you.